You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, uh, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here visiting us uh, at South Bay Church. Uh, glad you braved the elements to come out and see us. My name is Mark Steberg. I'm part of our staff here at South Bay Church. And I hope you all have an incredible start now to your year in 2017. Uh, I'm not going to say Happy New Year because it's just not that new anymore, uh, right? So I know you're probably tired of hearing Happy New Year. But if you're like my family, you're probably at least somewhat settled back into your routine, back into your regular uh, regimen. Um, there's been a rare strain of the bubonic plague in the Steberg house over the last 40 days or so. And I, it started with a cold with my kids and it ravaged through all four of us. And you know, then it turned into a stomach thing and then it turned into a sinus infection and then it turned into a cough. And the cough will just not die. And so bear with me today. If I start coughing uncontrollably, I have my elixir here. Uh, but, but, but if I do cough, you know why. But here we go into another year. And I, I have to admit, I have, I have a wide variety of emotions as we go into 2017. Um, you know, but, but I think more than anything, I feel gratitude. I feel grateful that we have a new beginning, a new chance, uh, an eager to begin a new year. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, um, you've been uh, hearing about our vision for 2017. Uh, we want to reignite our focus as a church on spreading the good news about Jesus to the neighborhoods that we live in. And in Luke 10, we see Jesus really setting the precedent for this by sending pairs of his disciples ahead of him to every town and village. In Luke 10, in verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. So the harvest is indeed plentiful here in South Bay. And so we also plan to go out to the villages and the towns and the neighborhoods and spread the good news about Christ. And to do that, we're going to be reorganizing our small groups that we already have in our church to make them more geographical, uh, based in certain neighborhoods, certain towns. And we'll also be renaming those groups into mission point groups to better reflect the purpose of those groups. Each mission point will be focused on spreading the gospel to a specific area, a specific neighborhood within South Bay and reaching out to our neighbors, inviting them into our homes and sharing the good news with them through small group Bible discussions. And I, I really am excited about this vision. I, I'm excited about it, but just to keep it real, uh, part of me also feels a little bit apprehensive about that vision because if you've been around the church for 18 years or more, I know a lot of you have been around longer than that, but I've been around 18 years, you've probably had a lot of New Year's kickoffs that start with a lot of fanfare, a lot of excitement, and I found that historically, personally, my, my zeal and my fervor for the new year have often dissipated once the Super Bowl hits. <laughs> and so, it, it may have to be with the Chiefs losing, true, that takes the zeal away. But I can go back to my old patterns. And, and I get inwardly focused on my own life and my struggles and my schedule. But I want this year to be different. This year will be different. I'm resolved. And this year I want to keep my spirit fresh and rejuvenated all year long, not just in January. 
And that's why we're kicking off this sermon series this year that we're calling Rejuvenated. Because we all need to have continual spiritual rejuvenation to stay focused on the mission that Jesus called us to. Last week, Brian spoke to us about the book of Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah, where God a lot of times promises Israel that he will renew them like streams in the desert. Imagine a stream bubbling up in the Sahara Desert. That's how God wants to renew us. And Brian reminded us that renewal starts with our own personal relationship with God. We need to take some dedicated time each and every day to really connect with God through meditating on his scripture and by praying to him. And God cares deeply about us, and he really wants us to be healed. He wants us to stretch out our shriveled hands, so to speak, and be healed. We need to do our part, as Brian reminded us. And today I'll be continuing on this theme of rejuvenation. But one thing that rejuvenated me recently was taking a little bit of time off over the holidays. And in December, my family and I had the chance to visit uh, Washington, D.C. and Virginia and Maryland. Um, And our boys got to see where my wife Mia grew up, just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, which they'd never seen. And we had the opportunity to tour a number of the amazing museums and monuments in Washington, D.C. and in Baltimore. And one of the places, among many that we toured, was the American History Museum, the Smithsonian American History Museum. Perhaps some of you have been to that. It is an absolutely amazing place. There are so many relics from our history that you can go see there. And an example is this, oops, is this hat. Now you can probably look at that hat and immediately know whose hat that is. Abraham Lincoln. So this was the hat that he was actually wearing the night that he was shot by John Wilkes Booth. And it's right there under glass. You can get that close to it and see it. What an amazing relic from our history. Uh, We also went to the Lincoln Memorial. And my sons and I stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on the exact spot where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech, looking out over the Capitol lawn. Absolutely amazing. And then we just stood in in silent awe before this statue. And the picture doesn't really do it justice, but it's, it's like 19 feet tall. It's enormous. How many of you have seen this? It's enormous, and you have Lincoln's speeches, some of his speeches written in huge letters on the wall. And, and, you know, we just sat there as he solemnly looks out over the the Capitol building and and the the Washington Monument. And I really believe, I I love Lincoln, I think he's one of the great heroes of of our nation's history. And obviously he was instrumental in abolishing slavery and preserving the, the Union of the States. But I'm also personally interested in Abraham Lincoln because from a young age, My mom and my aunt have asserted that our family is actually related to Abraham Lincoln. Go figure. They've always told me this. Supposedly, Abe is a distant cousin of ours. And I actually heard this a lot when I was a kid. And so it was kind of like a family mythology. It was something that we wanted to believe, but we never could quite prove it. You know, but it was certainly a good story to tell people. And plus, my mom's side of the family is legendary at storytelling. And they never let the facts get in the way of a good story. (laughs) So, the possibility of being related to our 16th president has always intrigued me. I mean, I was just doing this, look at me. (laughs) I mean, six foot five, Abe was six foot five. Look at the ears. Look at the goofy ears. Now, he's a little more gaunt. I'm probably, well, better fed than he was. But, I mean, seriously. There's some resemblance. Distant, but maybe some. But again, we didn't have any proof that this was real. Now, 
Unfortunately, today, we live in an era of Ancestry.com. How many of you have been to that website? It's unbelievable how many historical records and how many family trees are out there and readily available. So, so after our trip to Washington, D.C., and with some encouragement from my incredible wife, Mia, um, I was resolved to just further investigate this potential link to Abraham Lincoln. So it's, it, it is valuable, I believe, to know your roots. And, and, and I believe it's important to, to know your roots because it's really part of your identity. And I think we really draw strength from knowing who we are descended from. I mean, why else would you see so many adopted kids that go in search of their actual birth parents? You want to know where you come from, right? So if it's true that I'm a blood relative of a national hero, I want to know about it. And so do you want to know the answer, according to Ancestry.com? OK, please indulge me. So. We're going to start at the bottom of the chart here, the bottom of the tree. Mark Steberg, born in 1973. My mother, Wanda Shear Steberg, born in 1948. Her mother, Marjean Howard Shear, born in 1924. Her father, Fred McKinley Howard, was born in 1894. And that is the picture that you see there, Fred McKinley Howard. He served in World War I. He's an amazing man. He died before I was born, but my mom tells me he was an amazing man. Great grandfather to his, to his kids, and certainly um, a legend in our family, a uh, great storyteller, so I hear. Now, if we keep going up the tree, um, we'll see, picking it up with Fred McKinley Howard, we'll go on to his mother, who was Arminta Howard, with a maiden name of Lincoln. Okay, Lincoln. Now we're into the Lincoln. She was born in 1868. Kind of an interesting story, I won't go into it, but she basically died in suspicious circumstances. Her skull was crushed under a wagon wheel or something, and they thought it might have been murder, but she died at a young age. Anyway, she, died, she was born in today. Her father was a John Robert Lincoln. He served in the Civil War, born in 1825. John Robert Lincoln's father was a Leonard Lincoln, born in 1799. Now, in the 18th century, birth records are rather sketchy. But the reason why we think John Robert Lincoln was descended from Leonard Lincoln is because all of the children of Leonard Lincoln claimed that he was their father, plus they claimed that Leonard Lincoln's father was Josiah Lincoln. Okay, Josiah Lincoln was born in 1773, and this is where it gets interesting, because Josiah Lincoln had a couple of brothers. One of his brothers was a Thomas Lincoln, and Thomas Lincoln, you'll see, is down at the bottom there. You switch it on me, Sherwin. But Thomas Lincoln was the brother of Josiah Lincoln, and Thomas Lincoln was the father of our president, Abraham Lincoln. So that means that my fifth great-grandfather, Josiah Lincoln, was the uncle of President Abraham Lincoln, according to Ancestry.com. So I'll say, if you believe Ancestry.com, it's probably true that I am related to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if we'll ever be 100% certain but given the historical accounts, I'm definitely more sure now than I was before I researched it. So yes, you may be in the presence of greatness today. <laughs> A few drops of that royal blood inside of me. Yeah, puff the chest out. And I'll be given autographs in the foyer afterwards. But seriously, learning where I come from has been very fulfilling because I'm just glad that I can know it, but also that I can pass it on to my own boys so they have more confidence than I did about their roots. And I think God really wants us to know where we come from. 
And, and you know, there's a lot of Bible genealogies when you read through the Bible. In, the, in Luke chapter 3, you see this genealogy of Jesus where it's traced all the way back to David as Jesus sits on the throne of David. And then from David, it goes all the way back to Abraham. And then from Abraham, it goes all the way back to Noah. And then to Noah, it goes all the way back to Adam. So you can go from Jesus to Adam, all in Luke chapter 3, which is fascinating to me. But if, but if you're like me, if you get to books like First Chronicles with these long lists of lengthy, obscure names, you kind of gloss over them. Like, it doesn't really mean a lot to us today, but I think the genealogies are there for a reason. Because I think God knows that identifying with family is very important to us. And I think God is a God of family, and we get a glimpse of God's heart for his family in Isaiah 43. And that's the primary scripture we're going to be looking at today. Isaiah 43, starting in verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You know, you see the love of God for his people jumping out of those words. And he's the ultimate father. He created this, this special people, and he paid a high price for them. And even though Israel was in a dark place spiritually, when God spoke through Isaiah, he still reminded them that they were his. And true peace would only come from reuniting with him and claiming their true identity as a member of his family. Now, each of you is probably in a different place today, for sure. I mean, maybe you're very closely connected to the Father in heaven, but perhaps you've drifted away from him. Perhaps you've even run away from him. But in either case, I want to talk today about the way home and, and how you can claim your true identity, because I do believe that therein lies a key to being continually rejuvenated and inspired to live the life as a, of a Christian what we call, the Bible calls a disciple of Jesus. So the title of my lesson is The Way Home, and I'll be talking about three things. What is our identity? Secondly, what are we made to do? And then finally, we'll end with some examples, two examples of people from God's family who are going to share today that are really great examples of people who are living out their purpose. And so let's go ahead and pray as we get started. God, we just pray today that, that as we look at the scriptures that you will really just connect with us, God. Show us our identity and give us complete assurance of who we are, God, and how you think about us and how you love us. And, and I pray that we are, are strengthened, we're encouraged by that, and we go away just, just ready to claim the great promise that you have for us and to live the way that you have designed us to live for your glory, God. Just speak through us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, who are you really? I mean, just as I once wasn't confident in my family genealogy, I, I think we can lose confidence in our relation to God sometimes. I, I mean, many of us here have read the Bible plenty of times to know intellectually that God created us and that he loves us. But if you're like me, personally, I mean, I can have a wide gulf between what I believe intellectually and what I feel on a heart level. Can you relate to that? And, and sometimes I can feel very distant from the Father. 
And that can happen for a number of reasons, but it usually comes down to several things. Number one, I may not be cons consistently connecting with the Father every day through prayer and through the Word. It may come down to me being in sin, and my sin is, is, is hindering my prayers. It could come down to, to my pride, where I feel like I have to perform to please God. And if I'm not performing up to snuff, then there's no way he could be happy with me. Whatever the reason, whenever I'm drifting from God, you know, I, I actually lose touch with my true identity. And, and I don't see myself as a child of God. And, and I'm not really in step with the Holy Spirit that's inside of me as a Christian. And when I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit, I definitely don't carry out the mission that Jesus called me to. And it's like I walk around with my head down. And I just feel, kind of, I'd say, perpetually inadequate. And I tell myself stories in my head that aren't even true. I'll, I'll say, well, I could go share with that person over there, share my faith with them, but they'll just probably laugh in my face. Or they'll ask me some question that I won't be able to answer about the Bible. And they're not open. And that inner voice just goes on and on and on. And that inner battle rages inside of me. And I'm losing sight of who I am. And the incredible story of good news that I have to share. Because Satan is the great accuser, isn't he? He's always there in my head accusing but regardless of how we, we, we may distort our identity, how Satan distorts our identity, that doesn't change how God feels about us. God's always wanted a special group of people that he could call his own. It's true he did have to hit the reset button one time with, with a flood and wipe out mankind. But besides that, after that, he chose Noah and he repopulated the earth. And he later chose Abraham, a man of great faith. And he made Abraham into a great nation. And after that, he chose Moses to, to, to rescue Abraham's descendants out of the slavery in Egypt as they cried out in pain to him. He heard them. And in Exodus 19, starting in verse 3, we see God speaking to his people through Moses. It says, starting in verse 3, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, or to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you would speak to the Israelites. So, so after God rescued his people from Egypt, he then makes this incredible promise. You will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Think about the enormity of that statement and that promise. God wants to treasure a group of people. He wants to call them his own, and he wants to set them apart as holy. But God puts in a condition, doesn't he, for Israel? You will be my treasured possession if... If... What? You fully obey me and keep my covenant. And then he proceeds to give Israel a whole bunch of rules, starting with the Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. And don't cover your neighbor's possessions. 
So God's promise to Israel is conditional. The requirement to obey him takes what, what could be good news, great news, and, in, and, and that you can be treasured by God, that's great news, but it, it takes that out of reach for people like me. Because personally, I know that there's no way I could have possibly kept the commandment. For me, it would have been very hard to live in Old Testament times with God saying, you can be my treasured possession, but you have to obey, you have to measure up. Because if I have to earn my way into God's family through my performance, there's just no way I'm going to hold up my end of the deal. I know myself too well. The bar is just too high. And yet as Christians, you know, I, uh, what the Bible again calls disciples of Jesus, we can sometimes fall into an Old Testament mindset. Do you ever look at Jesus' standards for his followers and, and feel like you will never measure up? I mean, seriously, the purpose of my life should be to make disciples and teach them to obey everything he commanded. That is my mission. But is it? Has it been my mission? You're saying, Jesus, I can't stay angry at my brother. You're saying I can't look lustfully at a woman. You're saying I can't retaliate. You're saying I have to love my enemies. I shouldn't store up treasures in, on earth, but treasures in heaven. I mean, that's an even higher bar than the Old Testament. And when I fall short, I can walk around feeling rejected, feeling disowned, and maybe even despised by the Father who created me. Because I know I don't measure up, so how could God be pleased with me? I mean, can any of you relate to this, or am I the only self-accused person here? I mean, tortured, self-accused soul, I am. But here's the deal, my friend. If you doubt that you're really part of God's family, you are missing the bigger picture about God and your identity. You simply won't have a lot to share with people if, if you don't have complete assurance about God's love for you. And rather than sharing the good news, you'll become paralyzed and withdrawn because you desperately need to reconnect with your birth father. And the good news is that God doesn't end with this conditional promise in Exodus. Praise God for that. In his infinite wisdom, he created the law to show to us that we are powerless to save ourselves. If we could really follow all the rules, he would have stopped there. But, but, but the, the Old Testament law, it was just like the warm-up band <laughs> for his bigger and wonderful plan. God always had something infinitely better in mind for us. I mean, the book of Hebrews says that all the, all the heroes of the Old Testament... All the heroes, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, they were all commended for their faith. But none of them received in their lifetime the greater promise that God had for his family. And that's the promise that came to us through the Son. So rather than expelling us from his family because of our disobedience, he sent his Son to become a man. And this Jesus perfectly fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. As it's written in Ephesians 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. The law is set aside in Jesus. 
He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He's the only man who ever really obeyed the commandments completely. He fulfilled the Old Testament law, and then God allowed his son to become the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sin. In Isaiah 43, starting in verse 3, it says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. You have a good father who loves you so much who sees you as so precious that he has given another, with a capital A, another, in exchange for your life. And this is 750 years before Christ when this was written. And God is giving us, through Isaiah, a preview of what he would do for us. He gave Jesus in exchange for us. It's the great exchange. I get the credit for Jesus' perfect life. While on the cross, he got the punishment for my disobedience. What an exchange that is. This is the good news, folks, that we need to share with everyone. Jesus fulfilled the law, and then he died for us, and then he resurrected from the dead to intercede for us before the Father. And through faith in the Son, we can become the Father's treasured possession. Jesus is the only way home to God. And the Apostle John confirms this in his vision that he records in the book of Revelation. John sees Jesus, the the sacrificial lamb, in heaven, interceding for us before the Father. And all those around the throne of God fall to their faces in praise when they say, Jesus, take the scroll of life from the Father. And in Revelation 5, starting in verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying to Jesus, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. Think about that. The creator of the universe bought you. That's how much God wants you in his family. And there's no price that he wouldn't pay for you. And thanks to Jesus, you can be part of this kingdom of God. You can be a priest to serve God. And as Andy Winsey talked about a couple weeks ago in our workshop, you can reign on the earth as a disciple of Jesus with the good news. An incredible gift that's there for your taking. Now, if all of this sounds like craziness to you, and if you are bamboozled by what I'm sharing today, I recommend you study the Bible with us. Please, sit down with us. We'll explain to you from the scriptures about this gift and how you can claim this amazing gift. Anyone who's part of South Bay Church will sit down with you and we'll set up a personal Bible study series with you. On that note, I am very pleased to announce that my friend, my dear friend, and my former co-worker and boss... Bill Anderson, has claimed this amazing gift that Jesus offers him, and he has joined the family of God. Uh, Bill Anderson, my boss, my former boss, was baptized into Christ on Monday of this last week, and he is now your brother in Christ. (laughs) 
Welcome, Billy. He had no idea when he moved me from Seattle to L.A. in 2011 to work for him what God really had in store. <laughs> but it's just amazing to see it all come together. Proud of you, Bill. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know, is it time for you to reclaim your identity? Do you remember whose family you're part of, really? I mean, is God's love for you on the forefront of your mind every day? Or are you still living under the old covenant? Are you still trying to earn your way into the Father's good graces through your own efforts? Are you walking around in guilt and self-loathing? Don't forget your identity, folks. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the price has been paid for you. You are in the door. You're part of the family. You're part of God's holy nation. So disciples of Jesus here, let's reclaim our identity in 2017. In 1 Peter 2, Peter addresses the disciples of Jesus, and he uses a description from that Old Testament book of Exodus to describe the church. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's not talking to Israel. He's talking to you, the Christians. Peter tells the disciples who they really are. And he's referencing that promise in Exodus. He had mercy on you. God had mercy on you. And you are now chosen, royal, and holy. So if you're a disciple, repeat after me. I am chosen. I am royal. I am holy. Do you believe that? Do you see yourself that way? We need to embrace our identity as disciples. It changes everything about how you live your life. Which leads me to my second question, which I'll briefly touch on. What are you made to do? What are you made to do? Peter understood that becoming a disciple of Jesus changed everything. It changes everything about your identity. And he clearly tells us that we're made as a chosen people to do what? Declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. And I think that puts our mission point plan for 2017 into the right perspective. And I think herein lies the key to being continually rejuvenated in your spirit. Reclaiming your identity as God's special possession and royal priesthood should refresh you, should change your perspective about your purpose. Sharing your faith about what God's done for you, declaring his praises, that's just a natural outcome of embracing who you are. If you believe you are chosen and royal and holy and going to heaven, of course you're going to share the praises of him who loves you so much. So how are you doing with that? Are you consistently declaring God's praises to those around you? That's the hallmark of the royal priesthood. And I'll just briefly share with you three ideas on how you can declare God's praises. The first thing I would tell you is to share your story. Share your story. Your story is the good news. And just ask yourself, how would you answer this question? Why are you so excited about Jesus? If somebody asked you that, why are you so excited about Jesus? How would you answer that question? You know, 1 Peter 3, Peter tells us that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We need to be prepared to give an answer for why we love Jesus so much. You need to decide for you what your story sounds like. I mean, for me, it was something like this. 
I love Jesus because when I was 25 years old, some men took the time to show me in the Bible what Jesus really did for me. That he died on the cross to forgive me, and now I get the credit for his perfect life. And since then, as a follower of Jesus, my life is infinitely better. It's more fulfilling than it ever was without Jesus. And actually, every good thing I have in my life today, I trace back to Jesus. My career success, my marriage, my wife, my kids, my friends, my purpose in life. And not only that, but I have incredible hope for eternity, where I go after this life. And I would love to share with you, my friend, a few Bible verses that really help me to believe this. That's how you can share your story. You decide what works for you, but I'll tell you folks, listen to this. Nothing preaches louder than your life. Nothing preaches louder than your life. So share your story. God is doing something great with you. Selling yourself short is actually an insult to your creator. <coughs> so share your gratitude for what Jesus is doing in your life. You exude gratitude for your salvation. You should. If you're not, you need to get back in touch with what Jesus has done for you. The second way to declare God's praise is to share God's word. I found that one of the hardest things for me to do is to ask my friends if they will look at the Bible with me. I think the fear of rejection is a powerful demotivator. And again, I have stories I tell in my head sometimes that aren't even true. And I know I'm not the only one that has a hard time asking people to study the Bible because I've seen a lot of you struggle with it too. But when you think about it rationally, there's really no reason to be fearful about asking someone to look at the Bible because fortunately in our country, you can do that without being it's illegal still to be tortured and murdered uh, for sharing the Bible with people. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is the message version of the scripture, which I love. It says, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. <coughs> Go out into the world uncorrupted, <clears throat> a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so all have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. The world is dark, folks. And the truth for most people is a moving target. Yet the word of God is fresh air in a squalid, polluted society. It's a glimpse. They can see through you trying to live out the scriptures. They can see through you a glimpse of the good living that sheds light into the dark world. It's the absolute truth in the word of God that every soul needs to hear. And so we need to get out there and share it. We need to carry the light-giving message into the night. Don't be afraid to share with people what you're learning in the Word of God. Don't be afraid to ask people if they'll go through our Bible study series. God will lead you. If you let him, he'll lead you to the people he's working on. And let God's Word do its work. There's no better way to declare his praises than to use his Word. And the third and final way to declare God's praises is to share with those in need. Matthew 5, 16 because in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, another way we praise God is through helping those in need. You know, your, your good deeds will be like a shining light in the dark world. And God has always had a heart for the poor and the downtrodden. You know, the Bible says that when we are kind to the poor, we actually lend to the Lord. And conversely, when we insult the poor, we insult the Lord. You know the scripture, Matthew 25, Jesus says, if you give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, clothes to the clotheslessness, <laughs> homes to the homeless, 
You're doing those things for me, Jesus says. You're doing those things for him. And one thing I've noticed over the years is that even those who are the most skeptical about Christianity cannot argue with us serving the poor. So if we want to crack through even the hardest hearts and declare God's praises to them, we must serve those in need around us, folks. This past weekend was our MLK Day of Service. And all of our international churches of Christ mobilize uh, on MLK Weekend around the world to serve those in need in our communities. And this year, South Bay Church had a number of projects going on. Three of them were focused on helping the homeless in our communities, which is now an epidemic. I think you all know homelessness has really grown. So I've asked two disciples of Jesus who are in the wings over here. Come on out, Michael and Julie. Two great examples of, of people who are really declaring God's praises by serving the poor. And they're going to share for a few minutes, and then I'll wrap it up. Hello, church. So my name is Michael Casillas. Um, I'm uh, glad I'm part of this church, part of South Bay Singles. Alrighty. Um, so over the weekend for the MLK project, we, um, we were supposed to go feed the homeless in uh, Santa Monica. But um, last time we went, we actually had extra lunches. So we, um, Rudy and Andres actually found uh, uh, a spot closer towards Inglewood between aviation and uh, La Cienega and it's like a it's like a camp out there like really it's like the walking dead almost you're kind of walking through the streets and um, I don't know if we have the pictures we're kind of walking right there between the uh, mobile homes just kind of ready for battle you know <laughs> um, so um, doing this it, it really never gets old it, Every time, it's really refreshing. It really um, tying into the message is rejuvenating. Um, just going out there and just to be able to, uh, oh man, um, it's just it was really in your face this time because Santa Monica it really kind of covers it up. I mean, you, you go and you give uh, lunches out by the park, and you're like, hey, look at this view. It's a great view. Or, oh, look at um, someone's. You know, you give a guy a lunch, and he's He's, he's kind of dancing for money, you know, and you got the Ferris wheel in the back, you know. It's kind of like there's a nice view, and it's a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of um, ways to cover it. But, but here, it was just straight raw, right in your face. You're walking through. There's junk everywhere, and it's kind of like these are how the people are living. And it was just uh, really refreshing to just walk through and just uh, see the people, like, just coming out and, like, like just waking up, like, oh, I got I to gotta get this lunch. Like, I can't let this go by, and, um, <clears throat> and just so happened that uh, that day, the, the weather was great, so God was on our side. We, um, I think it was raining for a couple of days before that, and that day was just, um, it was just really perfect to just go out and, and serve. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, it's really encouraging, and I just had a, a scripture to, um, throw out there that I, I that, that was on my heart for this day in James 2 it talks about um, faith and deeds so um, it talks about if, if your brother or your, your sister is hungry and without daily food you wouldn't just tell them um, you know all right uh, be well fed or uh, don't be hungry <laughs> um, it's kind of like uh, 
you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it was really tugging on my heart because, I mean, these people, we can't just keep a blind eye to, the, to these people. I feel like if, I feel like if one of us, or each and every one of us had one person that we knew that was homeless, that we could uh, really make a difference by helping one person out, one for one, um, I think we'd really be able to make a difference in, in the, the homeless population. Um, and I just wanted to put on your hearts too. Uh, we had a great turnout, but I felt like it could have been a lot more better. Um, so I just wanted to put it on your hearts. Uh, on James 2, at the end, he ends it with, uh, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Um, just kind of like you can't just believe in God and, and that's about it, and you don't have to do anything about it. Um, but overall, it was a great turnout. Um, thanks for letting me share. Uh, here's Julie. group of us went to the Beacon Light Mission in Wilmington, and um, they also have a women's shelter next door, Doors of Hope. Uh, they serve breakfast. I know a group went and served breakfast to the homeless earlier that morning on Monday, and then another group of us came and assembled a bunch of Ziploc bags with like a hygiene-type package with, you know, wipes and waters and socks and um, just personal items, and then we broke up in groups and went around the neighborhood and just handed out the Ziploc bags to the different homeless, and um, and uh, the one of the biggest needs I feel like I saw was just um, the need for human interaction. Uh, when we'd see some homeless just kind of sitting in a trance, just kind of feeling like nobody notices them or kind of invisible, you know, when we would interact with them and say hello, shake their hand, and they kind of came out of their you know, trance or came out of the zone they were in and, and enjoyed seeing the kids and interacting. Um, if I could share a scripture, Psalm 112, verse 9, it says, He scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. And I really hope that's what we were doing is just spreading God's gifts and not, you know, bringing attention to him and not really bringing attention to us and uh, we were given some really great input from the director at Beacon Light to say, um, not to say, can I pray for you, or what can I pray for you, but to say, how can I pray for you? Like, I'm going to pray for you, so how? And uh, that really um, brought them to life and, and made them stop to think for a second. And um, this one man, his name was Doc, and um, just been thinking about him all week because when we say, how can we pray for you, he was like, well, my life is over, you know, and um, and I just think, gosh, you know, he's probably only in his 50s. He looked older from just being out in the sun and everything, and yet he just said, oh, pray for the world. And even him being homeless and not having much, he's still thinking, like, pray for somebody else. You know, somebody else, you know, pray for the world. Don't pray for me. But we did. We prayed, you know, Mark prayed with him right there, and, and uh, Pedro and I talked about it later. Like, all these people were children at one point. They were babies and toddlers and went to school and something happened in their life. We don't know what happened to them or what they did to their life. They're here. And um, it could easily, like, that could easily been me or you. That could, you know, who's to say that could have easily been one of us. So um, it just inspired me to 
you know, I'm making my own little Ziploc bags at home. Like, I really want to just keep a couple in my car to, you know, hand out at the end of the freeway. Or sometimes I don't have cash, but I could say, hey, why don't I just give you this little care package? I, you know, we don't, I don't need to just do that once a year. I can do it throughout the year, too. So I think they just need you to see them and not feel invisible um, and just have some human touch. You know, I think that really shows, lets them know that God, God sees them, too. So thank you for letting me share. Yeah, and I know a lot of you were out serving in other ways. Uh, some of you were, you guys can, thanks. Uh, some of you were uh, out cleaning up the beach down in San Pedro, um, and, and there were people giving blood. So thanks for everything that you guys did last week uh, to, to really help those in need. And special thanks to Clay Jackson. He was instrumental in putting a lot of these uh, projects together. So thank you, Clay. <laughs> embarrassing. Isaiah 43, just wrapping that up, it says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. My friends, just to wrap it up, it's time to come home to our perfect father. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are in God's family. I hope you take that away today. Uh, come home from the north or the east or the west or the south, wherever you've been, and remember your identity. Embrace it. Remember who you belong to. No more faith. No more doubtlessness as we move into uh, 2017. God created you for his glory. Your, his glory. So let's be the treasured possession. Let's be the royal priesthood. Let's be the holy nation that God created us to be. And let's declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. We have an incredible opportunity with these new Mission Point groups. We hope to have those groups nailed down in the next week or so, and we may even have it as soon as the midweek for you, so stay tuned on that, on, what, on how we're going to have those groups set up. Uh, next Sunday, January 29th, is our first Mission Sunday of the year, and we'll be having a, pot, a potluck immediately after service next Sunday in the, in the cafeteria right here at Miracosta. We're calling it Mission, Mission Sunday because, look around, we want to fill this place. There's plenty of room. So let's all be inviting our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers to come out uh, next Sunday and worship. It'll be a shorter service, and we'll have uh, uh, break bread together after service. And then the following Sunday, Fe February 5th, is Super Bowl Sunday. So we'll be having a house church that Sunday by our Mission Point group. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. So let's get out there this week. Let's have complete confidence in who you are. Tell your story, folks. Tell your story. It's good news. Share God's word. Help those people in need. And I think we can stand in awe as God does something in our day that we can just only ask or imagine, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Amen? So let's go ahead and transition now <coughs> to the time in our service when we take communion to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'll go ahead and pray for the communion. God, we come before you just humbled that you love us so much. You love us so much that, that there's no price you wouldn't pay for us. You're, you're even willing to give your only son to die on a cross so that we could be made into your chosen people, God, a royal priesthood. And, and we're just so delighted to be part of your family. Uh, it's all made possible by Jesus, by him dying on the cross and resurrecting. And as we take communion this morning, we just remember Jesus. We remember what he endured in his body on the cross. Uh, we remember his blood, which, which gave us a new covenant. And I just pray that we're always prepared to declare the praises of him 
you, God, who called us out of darkness into the light. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.